the air conditioner. Um, doing multitasking here um, with my phone. Uh, but taught the class back in the winter and uh, enjoyed that class, but, but um, realized that it would be really good to have a resource that was more accessible and maybe a le little bit less intimidating. And so, um, so I am writing a book on worldview, and it's based on a story of a man's life. And so uh, my goal was to take part of the break and get, if I could, an outline in one chapter done. And I was able to get uh, an outline, a chapter, actually four chapters done, and extensive footnoting for two of my chapters. And um, hope, hopefully I'll be done by next summer. So just, uh, I, there's 12 chapters in all. But So thank you for praying, and thank you for your support. Um, I know, you know, it's different when you're a pastor, how you do breaks and everything, and I'm just really grateful for you guys and, and your support for me. And I, I'm... I know it's been a good break when you're back and really excited. I'm really glad to be back with you guys. It's so good to see your faces, uh, to be with you, and to be in the presence of the Lord together. Uh, most importantly, to be before him as he speaks to us through his word. And so we're going to be in Psalm 91 today. So you can be turning there. It's actually on the handout as well. Um, so you can follow there. Uh, but let me ask you, have you, uh, have you heard first the the story of Chicken Little. I've mentioned it before. Chicken Little, the little chicken that thought the sky was falling and was panicked and got everyone else panicked. Anyone know that story? Just put your hand up so I know that I'm making sense. Good. Um, have you ever felt like Chicken Little? Have you felt like Chicken Little lately, maybe? Um, have you been in a place where you've been overwhelmed with fear, where it seems like everything's going wrong, where all you seem to hear is bad news? Have you found yourself at times defined by those things and, and even actually anticipating more bad news? Well, I've experienced that and I've uh, had that overwhelm me at times in my life. Actually, uh, a story I have told, and if you've heard it, I'm sorry for repeating it, but um, in my 30s, um, I was on the campus of Johns Hopkins University. Um, and uh, at that point in time, uh, Baltimore is one of the most violent cities in the country. And there were muggings going on and murders near where we were. And uh, my experience at the time was I started to be concerned for my life uh, and started to envision, like, what could happen to me and what it would mean. And I started to enter into, you know, the meditation of, well, what it would be like for my poor wife and kids if I got mugged and killed while I was on campus. And then I realized that the, the most likely place for that to happen was in the parking lot because... Um, the campus was safe, but the parking lots were remote, and every night uh, I had to walk from campus through, like, the woods to the parking lot. And at that point in time, it would have been really good to pray and to ask the Lord for help and to ask the Lord for wisdom for what to do, but I have to admit I didn't do that. I came up with a plan. Uh, I came up with a plan where I was going to somehow evade the muggers and the murderers and get to my car, and this was my plan. I was going to actually thought this all through. I was going to come out of my office, I was going to sneak through uh, the path through the woods, kind of go tree to tree, you know, make sure nobody saw me. And then when I got to the large open space between the, the woods and the, and the parking lot, I was going to run. And by the way, I was one of the last ones out often. So, you know, by myself in the parking lot, that's the scenario. One car in the parking lot, my car. And so uh, that was the plan. I would run to my car across the parking lot. I would jump in the car, turn that ignition on, step on the pedal, put it in reverse, step on the pedal, and do one of those, you know, Jason Bourne, like, 360s, out, and then, boom, out of the parking lot, and I'd be safe. That was my scenario. Um, and so it came time to go home, and, and I did it. I snuck through the, the path in the woods, 
No one saw me. I was clear all the way to the parking lot. And now it was time to run to the parking lot and do my Jason Bourne 360 reverse peel out. And so I ran across. I jumped in the car, started the car up flawless, uh, put it in reverse, put the pedal to the metal and peeled out. Well, it didn't really peel out. It was a van. But I went backwards, uh, you know, full acceleration. And then all of a sudden, bam, I had failed to calculate that there are things called light poles in parking lots and they're cement at the bottom and I hit that light pole at full speed. Um, it actually broke the back of my chair over. Uh, the car stalled and I was undeterred. I stood, I sat back up um, and I tried to start the car and it wouldn't start. And at that moment, I'm thinking at any point the, this mob of muggers and murderers are going to come running and overwhelm my car. Um, and guess what happened? I had to call my friend and have him pick me up. I had to call a tow truck driver. The only, the only uh, fiend ever to show up in that parking lot was the one that was running around inside my head, getting me to live in that scenario. Um, the car actually, the, the reason it stalled is that the, the pump, the gas pump got knocked off the mounts from the crash and uh, we had to fix that. But. So that's my chicken little story. And I can tell you others too, by the way. Um, I, it, along with you, know what it, it's like to feel like Chicken Little, to feel like the sky is falling and to have that define your life and actually have you often do things that you ought not to do. Foolish things. What I needed at that moment as I started to anticipate the problem was what we're going to look at today. I needed Psalm 91. I needed God's Word. I needed to hear from God the truth. I needed to find strength in Him. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 91 because we need Psalm 91. Chicken Littles need Psalm 91. Psalm 91 speaks to us of the safe place, the ultimate safe place, which is in the Lord. So we're going to read that, and I trust that He's going to help us through His Word. So let's pray and ask for His help. Lord, we thank You for this Psalm. We thank You, Lord, for this truth behind this Psalm, who You are. We thank You, Lord, that today You love us, and you know who's here. You know all the things in our lives and our thoughts. And you want to minister to us. We thank you so much for that. We ask you, Lord, to do that and glorify your worthy name. Help me, Lord. I, I just want to serve you well. Um, this is a precious psalm. So help me, Lord, to, to clearly teach it. And clearly serve and powerfully serve by your grace, your precious people. That all here would understand who you are and be drawn to you and strengthened in you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Follow along with me as I read this psalm, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague 
come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. God's Word from Psalm 91. This psalm is called a psalm of confidence. We are taking time to go through the psalms, eight different types of psalms in the Bible. This one's called a psalm of confidence. We have more, one more type after that. And then we'll actually start into 1 John in our uh, next sermon series. But this psalm speaks to us, and along with the, all, all the psalms, they speak to us for every and any situation and mood we might face. The psalms are full of honest, even raw emotion and frankness about life, yet they draw our attention in that to God. They draw our attention to God that we would understand through the Psalms how to walk with Him through the ups and downs of life. This really is a book of poetry, and really songs that are meant for all of the Christian life. This particular Psalm falls at the beginning of Book 4. The Psalms are arranged by five books from what we can tell. They were arranged later after the people came back from exile. They took the Psalms they had from David and Moses and then other contemporary Psalms and so forth and, and ordered them in a way that seems to indicate and kind of follow the, the history of the people of Israel. So the earlier Psalms are largely of David. And then later the, there's, we hit Psalm 89 right before this one, which is a Psalm likely uh, composed about the fall of Jerusalem. And it's important to understand uh, how, of course, that functions in the history of God's people. It was a huge disappointment. It was a huge point of disillusionment to think that they had been conquered and exiled. And so Psalm 89 is an expression of that. And it's like the other Psalms, there's raw emotion, but looking to the Lord. And then book 4 starts with Psalm 90, which is a Psalm by Moses. And so you might say, well, if you're following the history, why go back? Because I believe with the psalmist, the, the editor of the Psalms, I want to put them together, um, was doing was saying, guys, you might feel that all is lost by the fall of Jerusalem, but you know what? We've been God's people since way before there was any Jerusalem, any kingdom, and any king. And so Moses' psalm is a way to ground us in something that is more permanent. And Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That's, a, that's kind of a key part of that psalm. And then we go into Psalm 91 which speaks about what it looks like to dwell with the Lord. And so Psalm 91 starts, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So it's helping us in our difficulties, in our disappointments, in our fears, and in the things that may even make us panic, to look to the Lord and to trust in Him and to wait on Him. The psalm is a wonderful psalm, and you probably heard the different voices. There's the first person, I, the second person, you, and then God himself speaking. It is likely that this psalm was used in, in a kind of responsive way. Uh, so, so just imagine a reader reading a part, and then the uh, congregation responding in this. And it was supposed to be an interactive thing. It's a song and, and a reading um, for 
all of God's people. This psalm teaches us in all these things that we are to trust in God. He will take care of us. I want to look at three things in the psalm. I want to look at the problems. I want to look at the promises. And then I want to look at the prerequisites. Just to look through this whole psalm. And so as not to cause a problem for you, let me put on my timer. Um, first, the problems. This psalm is full of problems we may encounter. There are, I counted 16 different troubles that the psalmist speaks of. Uh, the snare of the fowler, deadly pestilence, terror of the night, arrows that fly by day, pestilence that stalks in the darkness, destruction that wastes at noonday, one to 10,000 falling at your side, the recompense of the wicked, evil, plague, striking your foot against a stone, lions and adders, young lions and serpents, and just plain trouble. 16 different problems the psalmist talks about. It's a pretty full range, and, and I, I think you need to kind of step back and think, well, what's going on here? What's the psalmist doing? And I think what he's doing, he's, he's painting a picture of the sorts of troubles that cause us to live in fear and to panic. These are, these are the sorts of things that we might hear about or think about, the sorts of things that I thought about as I went to that parking lot. These fears, something is lurking there and it's going to get me. These are troubles and problems that instill fear in us can end up defining our lives. And so there's lots listed. There's the snare, snare of the fowler. Um, this is metaphorical, of course. Uh, the fowler was someone that caught fowl, birds. So the snare of the fowler was some sort of trap or noose that, that you would bait and then you would hook a bird. Um, it's the idea of a trap being laid out for us by an enemy. So some of these troubles, some of these problems are things that our active enemies will try to do, or at least we might perceive them as trying to do. For the believer, our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, and not the world in the entire meaning of that word, but the world in its fallenness and its separation from God and, and the, the aspects of culture formed around that is an enemy. It's our enemy. That system of ungodliness is one of our enemies. The flesh, our own humanity, and our fallenness is our enemy. And then the devil. So this is a snare of the father. It could be set by any of the three. I, I have to say that in Scripture, as you look at, at all of Scripture, the, the greatest enemy in Scripture is actually our own selves, our flesh. And often it's our own selves that get us into the worst sort of trouble. The snares of the father can be our own, our own thoughts, our own tendencies to doubt and to be, to be focused on ourselves and forget about God. Or to be... Uh, sinful and to want evil things. We are our own worst enemy, like me in my car accident. There's the arrows flying by day and the terror of the night here as well. These are, these are thoughts of, of sudden attack and sudden raids. And we, we don't see that, thank God, uh, in our culture. But for people at the time, it was a real reality. Because there were raids. And, and if you lived in a village, uh, you had to be aware of that. Things could happen at night. They could happen during the daytime. If you were out in the fields working, you, ha you had to be ready for a raid to come. And so that was uh, a possibility, more so back then. And nowadays, actually, it is a possibility in parts of the world. If you are a Christian around Lake Chad in Africa, this is a real possibility. Right now, Islamic militants come in and raid these villages and bring with them devastation, death, kidnapping, and destruction. The psalm talks about 
pestilence and its synonyms four different times. Now, this one we may relate to a little more closely. Speaking of sickness, plagues, and diseases. And just think about how that's affected us as a country. Without getting into uh, all the things that are going on, just, just the reality is that the, the possibility of the full effect of a pandemic has just about shut us down at points. It has shut down large, large swaths of the world's population. There's something very unsettling, right, about a pandemic? It's this hidden thing. You don't know who has it and who doesn't. And will I get it if I do this or that thing, if I shake a hand or hug somebody? And, of course, the, the measures that are taken are, are given to prevent that. But think about how unsettling it has been for us. All the safety and prosperity we've taken for granted is pulled out from under us. So many of the blessings of living in community are were deprived. We don't get to enjoy that and the benefits of commerce. We, we haven't seen this sort of thing in a long time, but if you look at history, it's very common. Uh, plagues going through uh, happen at least once, if not more, every century in history. And this is the sort of thing the psalm is talking about. It's speaking to us in this pandemic because the reality is that the, the, the perception can be worse than actuality. Our perception can create a sense of fear and panic and so this psalm is speaking to us in our problems. The psalm talks about really what is the worst problem we could ever face. It speaks of the condemnation of the wicked. Where it talks about a thousand and ten thousand may fall by your side, yet it will not touch you. You will only look upon the recompense of the wicked. That actually is the worst problem that we'll ever face or any human being could ever face. That is to have your sins paid back to you. To pay for your sins. To, to have the consequences of, of your choices to not walk with God and not love Him and not love others. To have that come back on you. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's good. He's perfectly good. And He's holy and He's just. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at our lives, we'll realize that we don't have a ground to stand on before Him and claim, no, we're not somehow wicked. We deserve what this psalm says. We've been faithful through and through and always. No, I can't say that for myself and I don't think, left to yourself, you can say that either. That's the worst problem that could happen. This psalm talks about all these problems because our world, in many ways, is full of problems. This world is full of problems, and those problems can end up defining us if we really think about it. And we don't think about the Lord and what the psalm says in the rest of this psalm. We can live in panic. We should be very fearful, and we should be very panicky if we face these problems and anticipate these problems without. God. Just a side note, just an observation. I would argue that history actually would show that the influence of Christianity and culture has rescued us from many of these calamities. It's, it's salted the world in a way that, that these things are diminished 
They're still there, but they're not what they once might have been. Through Christianity, cultures and kingdoms experience peace and freedom from warfare. It promotes peace. Through Christianity, when it's rightly understood, science and technology advance. We have medicine and things to help us. Through Christianity, we conquer the enemies of our souls and experience personal peace. So there's an aspect, and it's a whole other message, about the, the kingdom of God and the, the, the truth of the gospel and the word of God influencing cultures and changing us and experiencing what we've talked about in the past, the uh, already but not yet. That's a side point, important one to understand. Nevertheless, these things are still around. There will be problems in this life. There will be real problems, and more often than not, the perceptions will be more negative in our lives than the actualities. So for you, what are the things that make you feel and or act like Chicken Little? What are the issues in your life? What are you doing? How are you managing? Where are you running? Everybody faces problems and everybody faces fear and anxiety and panic. Where do you go with that? Well, this psalm is here for you to say, go to God. And so there's all these wonderful promises in this psalm. It's full of promises. Uh, it, it, it starts in the beginning, uh, the first two lines, it mentions God's name uh, in four different ways in those first two lines. Do you see it there? Uh, take a look. We have Him as the Most High. The Almighty, the Lord, and God. Four different ways to describe God. That's somewhat unusual in Scripture. Why? What, what's the psalmist doing there? Well, think about what all these names mean. These are names of God. God's names describe His character. They describe what He's like. And the psalmist and God Himself wants you to know who He is by knowing His names. And so He's the Most High. He's, he's the Most High. He's at the highest level. He isn't just kind of high up in who He is. He's the most high. He isn't just kind of powerful. He's the most powerful. He isn't just kind, kind of loving. He's the most loving. He isn't just kind of good. He's the most good. He's the most high. He's not just kind of wise. He's the most wise. So there's a focus on God as the most. There's no level of all these characteristics that compare to the level that God lives at. This is who He is. So it's profound when it talks about Him as the Most High. He's also called the Almighty here. He's powerful. He's the Almighty. Think about that word. And His name is the Almighty. Imagine if you had a friend who went by the name the Almighty. I mean, what do you picture? What does that friend look like? I, I think like a guy who looks like Thor, right? Someone who's like 7 feet tall, 400 pounds, all muscle. Right? That's, that's maybe. But nobody's going to call themselves the Almighty because nobody could really say they're the Almighty. But God is the Almighty. He is powerful. He is able to do all that pleases Him. There is nothing that happens apart from His involvement, His control, His supervision. He's the Almighty. He's over all things. He's powerful beyond compare. He's all-powerful. He's Almighty. He's the Lord. 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in Scripture is a translation of the divine name Yahweh. The precedent is in the actual New Testament use of the name, so it's appropriate to, to use that. But, but sometimes when we read that, we don't get that it's the divine name. And Yahweh, from what we understand, means I am. I am. Why would he say he is the I am? Well, I think what he's doing is he's getting out the truth. And we use this phrase, it is what it is, right? He's getting out the truth is, no, it isn't it is what it is. It's I am that I am. It isn't just, you know, is because it is. No, God is sovereign. He's the pre-existent, eternally existent, ultimate reality. All things are from Him. All things are through Him. All things are to Him. He is the I am. This is His name. And so we look to Him. Who is the I am? And who is our refuge? The I am is our refuge. He is the Almighty for us if we call on His name. He is the Most High if we look to Him. And He is finally the, is God, the Word God. He's the true God, the only God. There's no other divinity. He alone is the Creator. He alone is the Supreme Being. He is the One in Three, Three in One. He is God, there is no other. And He is meant to be your God if you cling to Him in love. This psalm promises so much to us through the names of God and the specifics. He's a shelter, a place to get away from trouble. He's the safe place to rest and be refreshed. He makes it so we can abide in His shadow. That probably means more to us in the summer heat and certainly in the culture and the, the geography of, of the Bible. It's a safe place from the heat of the day and the troubles of life. He is the place to escape our sorrows and difficulties. He's a refuge and a fortress to protect us from our enemies. These are all the things that He does and all the things He is for us. And guys, the reality is you need a refuge. You need a place to escape your sorrows and troubles. You need a place to find refuge and refreshment and peace. We're not meant to bear the sorrows of this life. We're not meant to bear the troubles of this life. We're not meant to do this on our own. He calls us through this psalm in the Word to lay our anxieties at His feet because He cares for us. It's amazing. This is God, the infinitely glorious One. He cares for us. He cares for you individually. He knows you. He knows your struggles he knows your weaknesses he knows your faults and he's meant to be and he wants to be and he even longs to be all these things for you this true refuge this true place of refreshment and strength and if you don't run to him you're going to run to something else believe me we all do it we can't live in a vacuum here we we will eventually Feel the pressure and the difficulty, the temptation of these things. And we will go somewhere. And sometimes those places are very destructive places we run. So we can run to things like drugs and alcohol, illicit sex, and have those things define us and ultimately destroy us. I've seen too much death by these things. 
I see actual death. I'm sure you do too. By these things. And spiritual death. By these things. But you can also die a slow death. By taking things that are actually not as destructive. Even are good. And try to make, trying to make those things God. None of those things are meant to be God. Food is not meant to be God. Relationships, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife, are not meant to be God. Your children are not meant to be God. Beautiful summer days are not meant to be God. Your hobby is not meant to be God. Your job, your workplace is not meant to be God. Your decor in your home is not meant to be God. Those are all good things. And He is the giver of every good thing, of every good gift that comes from Him. But the design in His goodness is not that you would look at the thing and try to find life in the thing, but you'd see that the thing is ultimately a sign indicating to look to God, the giver of every good gift. And so the right way to relate to all these things is to say, thank you, Lord, you're good, you're my refuge, you're my strength. And I experience you through this good thing. But ultimately, it's about you. But if you don't do that, you will make these things or try to make these things your God. And you will die a slow death in that. He is gentle and lowly of heart. He's humble. He's accessible. He's given you Psalm 91 that you would run to Him. He's called you to drink of this living fountain, and not try to draw something out of mud puddles, but to find your life in Him. And these promises here are astounding so that you would run to Him and find in Him the strength you need. It goes on. There's so many things. I don't have time to cover everything here. We're promised that God is a shield and a buckler. His, his faithfulness is like a shield. A buckler is just a, a type of shield. There's poetic repetition, of course, in this psalm. We are... Through Him, a uh, promise to tread on the most treacherous animals we can think of. Lions and snakes. We can tread and trample on them. Ultimately, uh, I mean, this applies across the board. The devil is compared to these things, right? And in Jesus, as we look to Him, we can tread on the enemy and have victory in Him. We're guaranteed deliverance and protection. God's personal answer and presence. Rescue. His honor. Life, salvation, perfect satisfaction, all in Him. The greatest danger that we could ever face is addressed as well. The recompense of the wicked. It says a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It will not come near you. You'll only look with your eyes on the recompense of the wicked. How can that be? How can I avoid the recompense of the wicked? I know my heart, and I don't even know all of my heart. And I know if you saw the things in my heart, you would be horrified. If you looked at my heart like I often can, and, and as God does, you would see evil thoughts. You'd see murder in my heart. You'd see me coveting things that don't belong to me. You'd see me actually loving and living with me at the center most of the time. Instead of God and others. And that's with me as a follower of Jesus. Before I followed Jesus, I, I was overflowing with filth and evil. 
And I got involved with some very terrible things. So how can I think that I can stand and watch the recompense of the wicked and have it not fall on me? Well, God is a genius with His Word. And when we want to interpret Scripture, the best thing to do is to look at the rest of Scripture. Because it's all from one author, capital A, ultimately, right? And so this, this psalm is actually used by Jesus. Actually, not Jesus. Someone who is talking to Jesus. There's a verse in this psalm that appears in the New Testament. Does anyone recognize that? There's a verse that says, the, uh, He will command His angels concerning you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's right out of Psalm 91. And that's quoted in the New Testament. By whom? Satan. Interest. I would submit to you that understanding that quotation and that interaction actually helps us understand Psalm 91 and how to apply it to our lives. How to, how to understand how we could somehow avoid the recompense of the wicked, but also understand how do these things function because I'm sure as I'm listing all these promises, you're thinking, this is great, but my life actually has trouble. There's times when I don't feel like God protects me. So what is going on? Jesus' interaction with the devil, I think, helps us properly interpret Psalm 91. And of course, uh, if you read there, you, you probably know that it's the temptation in the desert. And it says in Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 4, 5 through 7, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, quote, He will command his angels concerning you, and, quote, On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So let's just take a look at that briefly. Do you notice that the devil skipped over a section? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He skipped over that. Now I think that's helpful to understand what's going on in this conversation because to guard you in all your ways, that word for ways, is, it, it literally means your roads, your paths. The idea is it's your whole life. As you walk throughout your whole life, He will guard you. There's a context to this psalm. It's God's guarding over the course of your whole life. And Jesus knew this psalm well. But He said to Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I don't look at this psalm and say, God, you have to do it my way, how I understand it, when I want, the way I want. He says, Jesus says, you will not put the Lord your God to the test, which is from Scripture, which basically means I'm not the one to tell God what He has to do and why, but I trust Him. I trust my Father. I trust the Lord. And He knows how to work in life where He weaves protection and guarding of me, but also allows there to be trouble at times, to work redemption in my life. But ultimately, it's all for rescue. It's all for the complete fulfillment of this psalm. And of course, we know that that's what Jesus lived, right? If anybody deserved this psalm to be fully and absolutely and always applied to him, it was Jesus, right? He always trusted. He always trusted in the Lord. He never did evil. He never committed evil. He never was faithless. He, he deserved all these promises in every way all the time. And yet, 
he also understood as a man that God uses trouble and suffering to work a greater good. And of course, as the ultimate human, God in the flesh, he understood that that was going to function in his life in such a way that he would bring redemption to all who trust. So that these promises could be for us. You see, he went to the cross. He chose the cross. He chose trouble. He chose to go to the cross to offer up his perfect life on our behalf. To actually go and receive the recompense of the wicked in his body on the cross. To shed his blood and die for my sins, for your sins. To pay for them there. Fully. In his great love for us. It's amazing. He paid in full. He bore the whole holy wrath of God for sin. He chose to go through trouble, ultimate trouble, the worst trouble ever imaginable. Nothing compares. Any trouble we have will never compare to the trouble He had. Perished, died for our sins. But then, of course, He was raised on the third day because He had fulfilled all righteousness. He had pleased the Father. He was raised in power, victorious over sin and death. And now, through faith in Him, this psalm and its promises are for us. They apply to us. And so Jesus comes and helps us understand this psalm and actually helps us experience this psalm. Through His death and resurrection, this psalm is now for us. And it also helps us understand this psalm, how to apply it to our lives. Because in Jesus' life, He illustrates that God uses trouble to accomplish good. And so we see in Scripture these wonderful promises. Romans chapter 8, the latter half of that chapter, helps us understand this psalm. And it says, though, in verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Romans 8 in the life of Jesus teaches us. That God uses difficulty in a redemptive way to accomplish a greater good. And you might think, well, that just kind of unravels Psalm 91, doesn't it? You're just talking about him being a refuge and strength? Well, no. Because it, Psalm 91 teaches us that he does works good in our lives. Teaches us that he's in control. That the hours that fly by day and the terrors of the night are not in control. The problem that we have is we start to live as if those things are in control. This psalm says, no, God is in control. God is the Most High. He's the Almighty. He's the I Am. He is God. And He protects us and keeps us. He's the one who chooses what happens in our lives. And so we don't need to panic. We don't need to live in fear. We don't need to define ourselves by our troubles and our problems. But by Him. And so any problem he's going to allow is designed perfectly in a redemptive way for the believer. This psalm is for you. How it gets accomplished is up to the Lord. And there will be a day when it will be fulfilled completely in your life if you're a believer. So that's my final point quickly. We've talked about 
the problems and the promises, and finally and very briefly, the prerequisites. Because you might think, well, the way you're speaking, I guess, is this for everybody? Does Psalm 91 come true for everybody because of what Jesus did? Well, no. Not really, potentially. The psalm is actually full of prerequisites, right? As you look through it, these promises are for whom? Everybody? No, for those who trust in God. Those who make the Lord their dwelling place. Those who make the Most High their refuge. Those who cleave to God in love. Those who know His name, who know Him personally. That this isn't just an idea that's out there that's nice, that feels good, but no, I've actually come to the Lord personally and said, Lord, I want You as my refuge. I need You. And I don't want to look to these other things anymore. That's, that's the heart of wickedness, by the way. The heart of, of evil is looking to somewhere else besides God for our life. To find our life and, and to follow something else besides God. And so this psalm and these promises are for those who run to the Lord. Those who turn away from sin and self and turn to the Lord and say, I need a refuge and you're the only one. You're the only one who can be a refuge from my own sin, from the enemies of my soul, from my fears, my anxieties. You alone are the one that rescues us. Psalm 91 is how Chicken Little, the little Chicken Little in all of us, gets true help. So let us live according to Psalm 91. Let us run to Him for refuge. If He didn't spare His own Son, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Let's pray.